0: You're listening to Top Traders Unplugged, episode number 020, where I continue my conversation with Roman Lutz, managing partner of Future Value Capital. This episode is sponsored by Saxo Bank and Swiss Financial Services. Welcome back to Top Traders Unplugged where the best traders in the world come to share their experiences, their successes, and their failures. Let's rejoin the conversation with your host, veteran hedge fund manager, Niels Kostrup-Larsen. But I would actually be interested in hearing from you Mm. how you do trend following i mean what uh in just broad speak uh what 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 um how do you implement it we use very simple
1: models so typically moving average crosses okay. uh and we use a combination of like a, a short model and with a longer long, longer term model typically um the longer term model is is the dominant model mm-hmm. Uh, because we want to minimize uh, transaction costs. So you don't want to trade in and out um, every every day. So we sure. basically want to capture long-term trends. And it's also different. You know, the, the The our momentum strategies have a different um, function in the portfolio than uh, they do, for example, with a CTA. Sure. In, sure. in CTA, they have to generate performance. Uh, in our case... It's good if they generate a performance, but if they don't, it's not so bad because we have other strategies, especially in a in a mean reverting or in a non trading environment, which should perform well, like merger arbitrage or volatility arbitrage or, or carry, you know. Yeah. A carry trade is is uh, a mean reverting uh, environment where you know as the prices are not moving or moving on only very little. That's a perfect uh, that's a perfect environment for a carry trade. Yeah. So for us, a momentum is not really a performance driver. So if we don't make money, um, as long as we don't lose a lot of money, as long as we don't have a large cost of carry, we're quite happy if the strategy just sits there. That's why the long term model is actually the dominant model and the the short term model really kicks in when we have uh, a distress signal you know then the short term model kicks in and 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 basically speeds up the whole momentum strategy so that we have basically let's say if there 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 is um a tail event something happens uh, this afternoon you know so uh, this gives us then still the option that uh, this momentum model changes very very quickly and and they basically give the necessary protection um um to
0: um to the rest of the portfolio, I guess. To the rest of the portfolio, yeah? and in a sense, that's probably how trend following should be used by most investors. Uh, you know, they they shouldn't be so concerned about trend followers not making money in the last, you know, two, three, four years, even though it, <laughs> it can be annoying. But in reality, uh, you could argue that their environment or their yep. function in the portfolio is to make money when other things get in a crisis mode, and and uh, and therefore. Uh, as long as they're making good money on their traditional assets, which they have done, stocks and bonds have done well. The fact that you have a, a part of your portfolio, uh, which in any event usually is a very small part uh, of trend-following strategies um, that haven't done anything in the last three, four years, uh, you shouldn't be too concerned. So in a sense, I think that makes a lot of sense uh, to do it that way. Now, just before we leave the trend-following part of your portfolio, for, for this to work in your context Mm-hmm. Uh, am I right in saying that that those models are predominantly trading financial markets and not so much commodities? Where you could say that that particular profile maybe doesn't fit because you can't really associate a big move in commodities to anything to do with you know changes in volatility structure or anything like that in in traditional assets.
1: Yeah, we trade. We we mainly use trend following in interest rates. Uh, and in currencies, sure. that's that's that basically sense. what what we we mainly use.
0: So we've got a lot of uh, so we got a lot of volatility um, models. We have the trend following models you mentioned. Carry. Um, what else uh, happens inside the program? I think the, probably the, the third po- uh, pocket or like the 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 third area
1: of models are our tail hatches. Okay. Because obviously, you know, we have these negatively skewed returns from carry, from merger ARP and from volatility ARP. We have these momentum models. But even if we have a very quick model, let's say if there is like an overnight event, like a a gap situation, tomorrow we come to the office and equity markets are down 20%. If the market is closed, Or if you don't have any liquidity overnight, uh, um, uh, even a very fast momentum model probably doesn't give you enough protection. And that's why I think, or in our point of view, it is important to have some tail hatches in the portfolio. And here we are basically long forward starting uh, variants. So we are again again dealing with variant swaps. So we are... Uh, long as six months were swap and short three months were in swaps. basically what this leaves us is with a long vega position that means if markets collapse overnight, you know this position should generate a very positive pnl the The disadvantage is is to hold these positions, you have a cost of carry, so every day you pay a bit of a premium like an insurance premium you know and uh the key thing is basically to have enough capital in the strategy it gives you a nice protection when such a tail event happens but at the same time you want to minimize the cost of carries you don't want to spend every every year 5% in premium for for a protection you don't need so that's the, that's the that's 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 the difficult part um
0: in putting this Tailhead strategies together these variant swaps that you mentioned um, yeah. are they off exchange are they OTC swaps you do with counterparts or or do you construct yeah. them using exchange listed products
1: initially we we used list, we used listed options to do it um, but we actually because we kind of thought don't I want to have too much investment banking exposure. But um we basically changed our our view um we we trade now we're in swaps with with several investment banks um mainly for for transaction cost reasons i mean transaction costs are much much lower if you if you trade it with a counterparty rather than sure. doing doing in yourself and even though it is an OTC contract it is an extremely liquid uh, odyssey contract and um so let's say if even one one bank would um kind of um default or the trading desk wouldn't be able to show you uh, a, a trading price um there's a, a, a very good chance that you can basically you know, wait this contract and trade it with an, another bank you know, because these contracts are so standardized and so liquid. And even if this would happen, so even if you wouldn't find a trading desk, you know, who um, uh, quotes your price, you then still can unwind um, uh, the variance swap, um, basically by replicated systematically using listed options and just carry both into expiration you, you ha- still you still have this option sure. yeah.
0: but but just just our curiosity because it's it's not an area that 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 I've come across uh yeah. sort of personally because <laughs> obviously I'm I'm from the exchange listed sort of a market environment but but when you run things like that I mean I guess this swap needs to sit somewhere I mean I can I can I can understand that you can trade it with many people but at least in the old days when you did it with currency OTC strategies you you had the hub and spoke meaning you could trade with a number of banks but there was one central you know clearer of this uh, transaction that uh, that you needed also and and is that the same here that, that that there is someone where you have the counterparty risk somewhere in in that equation
1: no currently these uh, are otc contracts so bilateral agreements between uh, an investment bank and the fund the fund who who trades it so it's an OTC contract there, you know, you, you typically have, um, uh, an, an, an Ista contract, uh, yeah. which has been negotiated, and then the the actual deal is is a, an OTC an um, uh, ag- agreement, mm-hmm. and um, you you typically have a CSA, a, a credit support annex, where you define the collateral. So you calculate the marked market of of the product. Let's say it's a million dollars, and then you know the, the one counterparty has to basically. Whoever Instead. owes, sure. yeah, whoever <laughs> owes owes the other counterparty. This million has to provide some collateral. Sure. Yeah. So this is agreed under this uh, credit support annexes. Um, and then obviously you have certain threshold, uh, th- thresholds. Thresholds. Sure. That sure. As, uh, if you if you reach let's say hundred thousand dollars or five hundred thousand dollars, this this basically triggers a, a collateral event. Am so. I-
0: Am I right in in saying that that there has been talk about uh, creating some kind of exchange for these swaps uh, so that they weren't so difficult to monitor for authorities and counterparts and so on and so forth?
1: Yeah, there is. um, I think there's still discussions to do that, um, mainly in the credit space. Right. Because it's a much bigger market, you know the credit uh, CDS market is 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 huge. Mm-hmm. Um, I also know that I think the UREX was very much involved, but um, uh, personally, I don't, I don't really, and I don't really know where these sure, discussions sure. currently stand. But it it's still traded traded OTC basically.
0: Sure. Sure. And in terms of the you know you you you've got these uh you've got these uh different models and they to a large extent as i understand it are pretty much in the market for the for the most part unless you decide to sort of uh, on 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 a maybe a, a discretionary basis to to turn them off but is there anything in terms of getting out of a trade? I mean, do, do you do you employ a, a certain level of stop loss uh, where you say, yeah, you know, we we reach the limit, we're not gonna stay in this position, or, or how does that work when you when you run so uh, you know these kind of models?
1: Yeah, so t- typically every model has its own risk management procedures. Sometimes um, they're very complex. You know, I described a, a little bit, you know, what, what we do with our variance positions, you know, how we split them, how we uh, halve the duration, and how we exit the trade when we see that um, implied uh, intraday realized volatility start to increase. So mm-hmm. it's probably a more complex model. Yeah. Um and sometimes um there's just stop losses you know yeah. uh, where we just exit the trade uh very very sim- simple uh, models um where we say okay if we if we lose with the strategy more than let's say 10 percent, we unwind the trade so these are basically the um the risk systems within each strategy they're like very specific very strategy specific they're kind of tailored for each each strategies and that's why they're very very different and then obviously we have our monthly tactical asset allocation meetings where we decide you know what kind of strategies do we uh, put into the portfolio and how we uh, weight them typically we have um uh, an equal volatility weighting, so or an equal risk weighting, so a strategy with a higher risk has a lower weighting than uh, a strategy with a with a with, with a lower volatility or lower risk. Um, but we employ a tactical overlay because we know realized volatilities are sometimes not a very good indicator for uh, future volatility, and it it could could happen that. We, for several reasons, maybe because of crowdedness, maybe because of um, liquidity, maybe a trade becomes extremely illiquid, maybe we come to the conclusion that a certain trade has unnecessary exposure to systematic risk, Mm -hmm. that we basically decide, okay, this is a very bad environment for this strategy, uh, and we take it off. Yeah that's something we we could do sure yeah sure. so we we can we can overweight the strategy so let's say if um the the, the volatility weighting gives us a target rating of uh, of 10% we can overweight that by by 20% so we could move from 10 to 12 yeah but on on the downside uh we can basically take it away if we if we feel uh, this is the right way to do it
0: yeah, yeah. Is there anything that could be said? And I don't know whether this is the right term actually to use. But if you're looking at performance drivers, uh, and you look at your program and you look at the portfolio as a whole, is there any common performance drivers that you would point at that um, that sort of creates your your performance? And also, I would be interested in knowing if there is kind of a dominant um part of the portfolio that tends to deliver uh, more of the performance uh, of 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 the program or whether that's evenly more evenly split actually
1: yeah, I mean, it depends really on 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 the market environment we we are in. So if we go into a stress environment, then the momentum strategies and the tail hatches, they should perform extremely well because you have strong trends, you have uh, uh, you know on, on the tail strategies implied walls they uh, explode now yeah. so you should perform extremely well in these two pockets whereas you know you probably will lose money on merger up and on, on carry because um, they have negative returns on the other hand in a mean reverting environment as we have seen over the last couple of years you probably use you lose on on the momentum strategies. You know, you pay out, or uh, you get always caught on the on the wrong foot. Uh, I would say, sure. you lose on the um, tail hatches sure. because you pay out the cost of carry. But you know, it's it's obviously a very very good environment for carry trades or volatility volatility arbitrage and merger arbitrage depends a bit. I mean, if there is a mean reverting environment and there are no no many mergers, then you probably don't make much money in in this strategy but yeah yeah
0: i want to i want to ask you a little bit about uh, trade implementation but before i do so yeah um i just want to ask you this would appear to me at least like um a challenging strategy to explain to investors i mean i come from a world where we only have to explain one type yeah. of trading um, hmm. And that can be difficult enough. You have to explain, you know, four or five of them. Um, and they're pretty technical. Um, how, how do you see the, 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 uh, the translation? Uh, you know, I guess you could almost refer back to the movie called Lost in Translation where, <laughs> where, 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 you know, you don't necessarily always convey or you, do, it doesn't get quite understood the way you convey it. I mean, how, how do you deal with that side of things? Um,
1: mm. yeah, I mean, it is difficult to explain, but uh, but I think if somebody is patient and if he listens to us and and an investor takes its time and uh, there are many investors out there, they they actually they they're willing to take on this this challenge. You know, yeah. you can actually have uh, very in- interesting um, conversations and basically build the necessary trust, which then leads into an investment. What also helps. There are other very successful managers in the market who have who have done something similar. Yeah. And um also investment banks, um they they are very active in, in this space, so they, they embrace this
0: alternative risk premia concept. Do people generally when you go out and you talk to them, I mean, do they generally um understand it, uh, would you say yeah. or yeah. We we clearly profit from uh from the fact
1: that especially investment banks, they're very active in this space. Right. And they, okay they basically educate investors. Um so investors they know what merger arbitrage is, they sure. know what a carry trade is, they understand tail hatches, they understand momentum.
0: Yeah, breaking it down in the right uh, pieces with the right descriptions uh, yeah. clearly help. Now, yeah. as I mentioned, I wanted to just ask you a little bit about trade implementation. Um, you clearly run a lot of different um, uh, models and looking at different things, looking at lots of data. How do you uh, how do you on a day to day basis gather all of this uh, and 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 turn it into uh, actions and and, and trade, so to speak? And and how? How active do you have to be on a day to day basis from a, from a trading point of view? Yeah, I think. The, the key point
1: here is that you need good technology yeah if you trade so many strategies across so many asset classes um you cannot do this um with an access spreadsheet anymore you sure. you need you need embrace technology uh and i think that's probably one of our um key strengths i think we we have a very good and very stable um trading platform sure. um that's that's key uh i think um and the second thing is um our models are actually, if you break them down, quite simple. Okay. So we don't trade. We even though we we use um, like in in sort of like a high high frequency trading infrastructure. So we 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 you could the data we, you... we, we, we could we could trade we could actually trade. Um, um, you know, uh, we, we could execute many many trades. So, sure. uh, but we actually don't. We we. I would say we do probably maybe five to ten trades per day. Okay. Well, yeah. Still,
0: that's that's a recent decent amount, but uh, yeah. but not 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 enough to get you you no. know, overly stressed either. Yeah. Yeah. And um,
1: yeah, so the operational the operational risks are. Or if you, if you employ good technology sure. and if you know what you do, yeah. uh, the operation risks are actually quite, quite low. Yeah.
0: But, but you mentioned that actually from technology point of view, you do need to capture data on a continuous basis. You yeah. can't just capture data at the end of the day. It has to be also running during the day for some of the, uh, yeah. Okay. Now,
1: um. So just, that's maybe a good point. I mean, we, yeah. we don't trade a lot,
0: but yeah. we, tr- we trade quickly.
1: Yeah. Okay. So if we get a signal, we are very quick. Yeah. Does uh, it
0: actually feed straight into the uh, execution, or do, do, is there someone human being who needs to approve uh, the the trade in between?
1: Currently, we 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 uh, we approve the trade. Okay. Um, but it's just because you know we we built it we built this this infrastructure over the last couple of months. Sure. But it's clear it's it's our intention that everything is is going to be fully automated at sure. at some stage. Sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. How much money can you run in a strategy like this? Do you think, or is there a kind of an optimum level of of AUM that you target, and and once you get to that, you you might say this is this is it. Yeah, there are certain strategies they have capacity constraints. Sure. For example,
1: merger op is and and carry trade that this is not an issue there also the momentum strategies you you can trade um uh, you have big capacities the way we trade i would say we probably could the way we execute now uh, we could probably trade uh manage about 700 million okay that's what we uh have estimated once we have 700 million we have to to take a decision whether you know we wanna to continue to grow and um change the way we trade. So we probably cannot trade just the whole size in one go, but maybe we have to do the execution of over the whole day. Um, I I personally would prefer to to have a smaller fund with with certain strategies which have maybe Uh, a limited capacity and and also trade some some niche strategies because there are some interesting uh um, trades we are currently looking at um, on on our research side where we clearly would have uh, capacity limitations but um i i I personally would prefer to have a high quality risk adjusted uh return which is truly uncorrelated to what investors have in their portfolio uh, rather than than run, running a, a multi-billion, multi-billion hedge fund, sure.
0: and there's nothing wrong with creating a bit of scarcity around your product uh, that can uh, sometimes, at least, uh, increase the the appetite from investors. Uh, as yeah, they might get scared; they they will miss the boat if they don't uh, pull <laughs> the trigger. So, uh, so I think that's that sounds like a good uh, good strategy. Now, I want to jump to risk management and. Um, <laughs> It's not that I have, uh, I think we've talked a lot about this already. So it's not that, 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 you know, I have a lot of questions in this area, but, but one of the things that I'm curious about is how you true, well, let's say that your assumption would be that you want to have equal risk, uh, you know, uh, across the different types of uh, models or strategies. But because they're so different, um, conceptually, I find it a little bit difficult to, to understand how you can achieve this objective and be certain about that you have more or less equal risk in in these uh, strategies, because some of them uh, we know, as you mentioned, uh, volatility can change rapidly, and that put can put a lot of additional risk into the strategy, and suddenly the portfolio is not equally balanced. So, how how maybe you can just uh, sort of explain how you go about creating certainty around uh the the risk you uh you have and also what is risk in your opinion meaning i mean do you look at it also from a how much do you know do we expect the program to to lose when when things gets really tough um and and Mm -hmm. and so on and so forth
1: yeah i think that's actually a very good question because i think just purely equal risk or equal volatility weighting um that's what a lot of people do actually yeah. um, i think it's very really dangerous sure. um, especially if you deal with strategies which have um, non-normally distributed returns like exactly. like we do and and to be fair i mean most strategies they they have non normal distributed returns and if they appear to have normally distributed returns, or um, probably we miss something. <laughs> yeah, <true. laughs> it's yeah. So maybe there's uh, some kind of a hidden liquidity risk premium, which um, you know nearly brought the whole financial system down in two thousand eight. Nobody thought about.
0: No, I can. So that's true.
1: I think the the, the risk management, a good risk management, is really not only looking at data but having a regular, in our case uh, these are monthly meetings monthly discussions and really um not only looking at stress tests you know like these these obvious obvious tools which often use um factor models and these factors are basically generated by uh, uh, from, from historical returns um but really having a forward looking view and 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 uh, ask yourself what could we miss you know what 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 do we miss what do, what don't we see in our data and how do we um protect our portfolio if such an event uh, happens and i think that's that's i think that's the the right culture in in uh, that has to be the right culture in, in in risk management we have this tactical overlay um overlay so we in generally we equally risk rate but then for each strategy we basically assess does this weighting let's say it's 10% does this basically reflect the the true risk uh, of the strategy or do we have to uh, move away from it do we have to reduce it from 10% to 5% and in our uh, experience it is very very difficult to build a model around that or to build a systematic process around that I think uh, financial markets are just too dynamic, you know, and uh, I think it's a, a too complex problem to, to to solve with a model. And it's it's very, very important to to have um these these regular meetings and you know assess whether the weighting the model gives you um either from a from a realized volatility a number or from a value at risk number or for some correlation assumptions whether this this number reflects the true risk of the strategy
0: so let me ask you in a different way what keeps you awake at night what is the risk that you worry about in the portfolio
1: yeah I mean on one hand these are financial market risks but in that, but, that's, uh,
0: that's very broad. That, that's, that's really, really broad. I mean, is yeah. it a, is it a, a is it a default uh, of, of a, of a sovereign? Is it a default of a bank? Is it what, what, what you, I mean, if you could just describe um, what, what you would really not like to happen, I think maybe that would be really useful to understand because I I take what you say, and 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 when I look at you, I've I've obviously had the 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 insight to look at your backtest of your returns, and I don't really see. I mean, it doesn't look risky at all. Uh, it doesn't huh. look very different through the difficult periods of two thousand and eight and nine and ten. So I'm sitting here wondering, where is the risk? Yeah, the risk is. I mean, you know, tail events
1: are also i mean it's it's maybe um um uh, i don't like to say that but uh, it's fine it's just me and you you know that (laughs) i mean tail tail events are actually great opportunities to make money yeah even though i mean maybe the it's 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 maybe ethically problematic to say that because they create a lot of suffering for sure. you know people you know yeah
0: um but, but they happen or, and 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 it's an opportunity yeah
1: and i think our strategy is pretty much well tailored to 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 capture these sorts of events you know as long as central banks are there and bail out the whole financial system you know and Ah. as long as you can trade you know um if i can get out of my credit rate and i'm short you know if it becomes very illiquid and i'm on the right side you know it it is it is it, it can be still a very very good trade the problem is if if you cannot trade anymore and i'm not only talking about otc's i mean if we really have a shutdown of of the system if you yeah. if you if you cannot trade any futures anymore you know what if you cannot short um any S&P futures anymore or if you cannot put your money into um T-bill futures because nobody quotes um uh, a price anymore what do you do then you know um uh, so if you really have a meltdown of the financial system
0: and um <laughs> No, I mean, I, I think that, that, that's certainly is something that probably most managers would worry about, uh, if, if, uh, if there wasn't, uh, an opportunity to trade, uh, for sure. Um, but you know, I mean, it's interesting. And as I said, uh, when I look at your, your historic, uh, test and as well as your live returns, um, you know, it, it, it looks pretty stable. Um, so let me ask you another thing, which is something I, I tend to talk about, which is drawdowns and, and it's kind of, uh, I wouldn't say beside the point speaking to you about drawdowns because you don't seem to have uh, that many of them. But, but what kind of drawdowns would you expect your strategy to have? What what if if someone gave you money today, um if things go you know as as you expect, what kind of returns? What kind of drawdowns should they expect to uh, to see?
1: Yeah. So I think we try to manage. the the strategy with a target volatility of seven seven percent okay uh now interest rates are on a very low level um we think uh, a realistic um expectation uh is maybe a sharp of maybe a bit over one let's say Mm
0: 1.2
1: so if rates are on such a low level um if we kind of get Somewhere between eight and twelve percent, that would be. I think that's a realistic uh, expectation, you know, of 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 a of a of an average return over the long over the long time. Um, and I think in, in, in drawdowns, I think uh, we we said we said before, you know, some of these strategies they haven't they have negatively correlated returns and uh, negatively skewed returns. So there are situations where you lose money. Um, these momentum strategies they They can kick in too late, you know because there is a bit of time lag uh and you know you you can end up in a in an awkward situation where you know you have kind of a half tail event where you lose money on the traditional uh alternative risk premiums momentum doesn't really kick in properly because it's not really a meltdown, it's kind of something in between. Yeah. And and your your tail hatches don't move.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And that's actually the worst case, you know, sure. um for us. You know, where you have kind of a semi-meltdown, a, a semi semi-distress situation, you know. Um you're what 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 I call that, you're like in, in German we say like you end up between the table and the chair sure you know what I mean yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely. it's not really a stress it is kind of something in between yeah and that's the most dangerous for us and yeah I mean you can lose 10 10 percent I mean you have to expect to lose 10 maybe even a bit more yeah sure.
0: and and speaking on that and 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 it's kind of also a little bit of a combined uh, research question I guess and yeah. and that and it's something that interestingly enough um I received that, uh, although I do try to ask it uh, of, of all of my guests, but it was pointed out to me uh, today from, from, um, from the audience that it's something that they really like to, uh, to hear more about. And that is, how do you realize that one of your models is not working? I mean, is there kind of a, or something that might prompt like a yellow before it might get a red flag, kind of a yellow saying, mm, this looks, this doesn't look normal um well what what would you be looking for when you look at your models um and what 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 kind of uh, what event or, or performance of that model would trigger a discontinuation of it and and i guess in a sense that- because what you do is somewhat related to fundamentals um yeah. That's, then, yeah. then then Of course, the, the changes in, in, in the fundamentals in the last few years. I mean, literally with negative interest rates in certain countries and stuff like that, which we've not really seen before, uh, certainly not in our lifetime. Um, that in itself, you could say, uh, means that certain strategies by default could get, you know, uh, out of, uh, out of favor and, and even to a point where you would say this strategy fundamentally doesn't make sense anymore. So how does that work on your side?
1: Yeah, I think that's a coup. I mean, for us, I, I think all our strategies are based on strong fundamental theories. So we are not we're not in the game of, let's say, statistical arbitrage um, where we just see something in the data and we trade on it. For us, it's very key that we observe something in the real world, you know, let's say... um merger up or the spread between implied, uh, ill realized wool or, or a carry trade, um, which is very obvious, um, and, and, and which can be basically captured. Um, if, if this is changing, um, um, if this, um, economic theory doesn't, um, st- hold up anymore, um, then we are getting very worried that, that the model doesn't work. But, um, I think that that's probably the key point. On, on the model side, obviously, if a model continues to generate losses, there's a point where you have to say, okay, something is wrong. We have to take it out, and we have to find out uh, what's wrong with it. But,
0: but I guess merger merge is a good example. You mentioned yeah. it had a tough time. But there's something with that strategy where you kind of override the performance of it and say, "Sure, we understand why it lost money. There were hardly any mergers, uh, but now we see more mergers, so we dial up the the risk budget again."
1: Yes, I think that's that's I think um, that distinguishes us from probably some of our competitors, yeah. who have more like. Um, uh, uh, the their the investment process is more driven by by backtestings you know yeah. whereas we we have uh, this global macro view yeah. which is very very important to us um we spend a lot of time to to de- develop this view sure um and based on that we put the portfolio together
0: um yeah do you um you know, there's this balance when, you, when it comes to research that um, investors often want managers to innovate, but they don't want them to change. And uh, I mean, I don't know whether it's too early in, in your business yet to come across uh, this issue, but um, how do you plan to balance that for investors where they're buying your product, they're looking at your returns, they're looking at maybe your back test, and it has a certain configuration. But of course, going forward, you might change that configuration as we just talked about. How do you balance that? Um, and how should be maybe in as a as a general question? How should people look at track records? Because we all know managers evolve over time, and and so what, you know, even the biggest name in 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 this business, what they did ten years ago is probably not what they do today. So. What's the best way for investors to to uh, assess uh, a strategy? Should they really ask for a backtest of the current configuration uh, to see what it looks like today, and and not only look at historic returns? What, what do you think?
1: I think what is really important for us that we have um, a close dialogue with our with our key investors, yeah. and that we don't. Uh, just take their money and kind of call them up at the end of the year and tell them, look, this is the performance. Though, so, but we basically keep them updated on on our research process. We meet them, we explain them uh, what we do, and that, you know, uh, that that basically when we add new strategies to the portfolio or if we remove something, that we inform them and that we tell them or explain them why. And I think um, if you can build A relationship of trust if you kind of involve your 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 key investors in your decision making uh, i'm i'm pretty sure they will support you so um i think because you know at the end of the day um you you want to involve the product and and you want to deliver high quality returns to them and i don't think anybody uh, should have a problem with that. Um, I think it is important that that the research process is dynamic, and uh, because you know financial markets are dynamic too. You know, and 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 they are actually evolving. You know, financial markets. Twenty years ago, or fifteen years ago, uh, fifteen years ago, uh, looked very different. Even in the even the instruments, you know, you can trade today are very different from from fifteen years ago. Sure. So it's very very important, I think, that on the research side, side, you you move on with with the structure of the market. And um, otherwise, I think, you know, your 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 returns
0: will suffer. Sure. sure. Yeah. <laughs> I want to shift gear on you again, Roman, and talk a little bit about um, the business side. Uh, mm-hmm. And first of all, I just want from an overall point of view, what, what what do you struggle with today? What's the hardest thing you do, do you think, when you start a, a, a business like you've started and you're trying to, to, uh, to grow it and, and all the demands that it has on you? What's What's the hardest thing about uh, what you do?
1: Um, yeah, I think time, <laughs> time is probably time is is the most difficult thing um, because it, I mean it's not only about obviously running the portfolio. It's what takes a lot of time uh, is is all the rest around it it is um um, especially regulatory um questions you know they take a lot of time and um they are very critical because if if you make a mistake um on 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 the regulatory side or on the compliance side um this this can destroy your business um and um and so (laughs) but it can be managed i mean it's not no, there are a lot of consultants in the sure. market. and You have to work together with the right people, uh, or you team up uh, like us with a yeah. couple of other managers, and you you share the cost, um, and you can basically hire the right people. So there are solutions to that, but it is it is much more complex yeah. <laughs> than I initially thought yeah. to to build an asset management. Company, um, yeah. I, I mean, I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to complain. I mean, it's it's no. fantastic. It's a fantastic job. Yeah. And uh, and um,
0: um. But we. But but on the other hand, and I think that this is what we're trying to do uh, through, uh, you know, certainly through the podcast series, and that is to have, you know, real stories, real struggles. I mean, it's not. It's not easy. It's not something you just do. Uh, clearly, there are a lot of managers who don't succeed, not because they're bad, but simply because. It's overwhelming to do, as you say, do a lot of different things and do them right, because there is very little room for error. Uh, There is very little tolerance uh, and patience uh, from investors. Um, so no, it, it is a tough, uh, adventure endeavor to embark on. And, uh, you know, I, I, I applaud you and commend you for, for, for taking this, uh, this step. So, but it's interesting. And I think it's important to talk about what's difficult about it and, 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 you know, uh, and learn from it. And then a lot of people, as I said, listening to our conversation today, uh, you know, will be considering should I start my own or should I not or what should I do and and so it's important for them to to get a, a fair assessment of uh, the life of a uh, of a uh, of a hedge fund manager and and and, and what it's like so uh, i i appreciate that um mm. i want to stay a little bit in in sort of the uh, in 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 the business uh, area and and mm. in terms of uh you know investor behavior investors have you certainly changed uh, in in the last few years it's it's become harder I think to uh, find uh, investors willing to support uh, smaller managers newer managers because they're doing a lot of tick boxing and and they don't you know want to take the risk uh, and so it's easier for them to pick a big name. Have you found anything that has helped you overcome this challenge?
1: Yeah, I think, you no, know, in general, I think investors, they would love to in- invest in new new strategies. They, 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 they are, and generally they are, they're, they're very interested in, in new concepts, okay. you know, I mean, and I also understand it because it's probably a bit boring if you uh, only can invest um, with the top 50 managers, you know, so, I think um, um, it also makes their work, uh, well, that's that's my opinion i'm i'm not not sure but that's what i think you know yeah so i think from the outside or maybe a lot of young new managers they kind of probably think god they have a tick box mentality but the problem is that um this it's just how the market has evolved, you know, and and um, the requirements on on infrastructure are just a, a very high. So even if they would like invest into a new manager, and even if they if they embrace and understand and support the strategy, often they can't because the manager doesn't have the right infrastructure. Sure. Uh, and I think that's 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 the problem. Uh And this is, I think. Partly or mostly because of also of of the changes on, 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 on the regulatory side. Sure. So, yeah, on one hand, you kind of think it becomes safer sure. to invest because you have more regulations. But on the other hand, I, I, I definitely think um, uh, it has an impact. It has a neg- negative impact on innovation yeah. because probably a lot of people have great ideas um, but maybe they, you know, if they start to talk to some kind of consultants and they start to realize how long it takes to get your firm approved and then how long it takes to get your usage fund approved and then how long it takes to get the, the first uh, investor on board. So. I mean, you know, it is either
0: either you're super confident. Yeah. Or you're a bit naive. Yeah. I was the later.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, but there's, yeah. not,
0: no, but there's, nothing, there's nothing wrong with that, uh, you know.
1: Yeah, it is. Um...
0: I think what's interesting about what you say um, is that all these changes have probably meant that uh, a lot of institutional investor portfolios are much more concentrated. They're probably invested in many more of the same names than, um, than they were before because, as we know today most part or the biggest part by by far of the assets is concentrated with very few names. So although they may feel good about it and they may feel that they've done their due diligence and they found some good names and with solid infrastructures, they may not realize that actually uh, there's you know, another uh, risk, especially if if a lot of these uh, investors need to to exit at the same time, uh, there could be another set of risks. But that's you know that's maybe a subject for another discussion. I want to move on to uh, one more question in this sector, and then we go to the to the more general and fun part. But I, I wanted to ask you this, and mm-hmm. um, you know, you've obviously been around for a long time. You've uh, met with many people, uh, had interesting discussions with them, and I, I'm thinking more here about potential investors. So, And you probably filled out quite a few due diligence uh, questionnaires on the way. But what is the question that investors are not asking you that you really thought or you really think that they should be asking that would be really helpful for them to understand your strategy or, 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 or hedge fund strategies in general? Is there anything that that you can think of that they uh, they never ask, but they, they should? Because, and the reason I ask that is, a lot of what I see is that many people ask the same questions, because we, we know that there are many standardized due diligence questionnaires. Eima has done a very extensive one that seems to be the standard. And I just worry that when everybody follows the same path, they leave something out. So I want to know from you what you think people should be asking you when they meet with you.
1: Um, That's a good question. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, They ask a lot of questions and sometimes difficult ones. And uh, I have to say...
0: um, but maybe Expe- they ask, especially
1: yeah. the experienced investors—they ask sure.
0: actually very very good questions. So and, maybe you, um, you, maybe you, maybe you talk about that. Maybe you talk about some experience you've had where they ask some really good questions and what they were yeah,
1: but I, that you I don't actually, see
0: from everyone. Mm,
1: I actually, I actually laugh. I, I actually take much more away from meetings uh, where I get challenged because um, and and where you have somebody on the other side of the table who. Um, has a lot of experience and 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 challenges you and because that makes you thinking and this then you go back and you you talk to your researchers and 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 you try to you you try to address that or improve that you know i think I came across some some actually very very good questions and I think the strategy wouldn't be the way it is now without some of some some actually quite challenging meetings you know where um, you know, uh, we had to go back and kind of say, okay, uh, they had actually a very good point and maybe we should look into that.
0: Do you remember uh, a specific example? I'm just curious. Do you remember a specific equi- example where a, a question from, from investors led you to to uh, maybe come up with something new in the portfolio or change something? Were there a particular area that they were concerned about or pointed out that maybe uh, there was some some kind of uh, weakness or something that could be improved that you hadn't thought about? Yeah,
1: I think I th- I definitely became much more aware of of you know how how important m- momentum I I think we you know we initially we were really on this traditional alternative risk premia train we really thought and we kind of i think um try to stay away from 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 momentum which is actually also an an alternative risk premia but we kind of underestimated how how powerful they they are basically in a in a in a a tail event so uh, we haven't appreciated that enough uh, i think yeah that's that's definitely something um we have learned from from investors
0: sure yeah. now final uh, set of questions um, i call it general and fun so it's uh, you know uh, not specifically related to to your strategy as such yeah. but um, i wanted to ask you you mentioned before that you probably were a little bit naive when you started off in in terms of not realizing how hard it would be and how much uh, uh, you know effort and time would go into it so just just based on that theme a little bit um is there any sort of key advice you would give to people who are, are wanting to embark uh, as a new manager in in this space is there anything to just a couple of things where you would say definitely do that or you know if i or even to the point where you would say if i were to start today and i knew what i know today i would do it this way instead i
1: think the key point is you really need you. I think you need a lot of passion. That's the key thing. I think if you don't, if you don't really, if you don't really believe in in what you do, or if you want to make it for, if you want to do it for money or for, I don't know, I don't know, fame or something like that, then <laughs> I, I, that's you know you really need to have like uh, a a a different different uh, motivator you know which comes deeper from inside you um what's your passion
0: what what, yeah, what I want to I want to create
1: I want to create great products yeah you know and uh which fulfill a function in a in a
0: portfolio where does that passion come from i mean that's, that's i don't know uh, okay <laughs> <laughs>
1: i think i don't know you want to make Um, an
0: impact in people's portfolios i guess yeah kind of (laughs) (laughs) yeah um i think it's really
1: yeah because it's yeah you you need you i think you need a a very strong inner fire and 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 then the second thing is uh uh, because it it this helps you during uh, during the difficult times you know because the first couple of years are going to be very difficult yeah and then the second point is this, I think um you have to manage your finances. That's very important because uh its probably it's going to take longer than you think, and um it's very, very easy to overspend you know you know, so make sure you 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 don't kind of burn out your your capital too quickly, sure. so start slow, maybe you know do the research, maybe out from home first you know before sure. you and and moving to an office when you know you're you're more confident that you will have some revenues and yeah. you do it step by step don't employ a huge army of people without um having kind of um the means to to pay them sure. uh, a reasonable salary because um this is unsustainable yeah sure. so
0: yeah, but I think so. Passion and common sense. Ca- yeah, I think
1: passion, common sense, and and patience. I think sure. that's that's the key thing. It it takes long, yeah. Um, but um, overall, I think
0: it's very interesting. It's very rewarding. Sure. And um, did you always a lot of fun? Sure. Did you always want to be an entrepreneur? If I may call you that, since you started your own business.
1: No, I, I didn't. Ha- I just no, it just happened. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that I kind of <laughs> in the kindergarten I uh, already dreamed of um, having my own business. No, sure. no, not really. I just it was kind of
0: kind of an evolution. Yeah, sure. yeah. Fantastic, good stuff. And what about any personal habits that you might have that you think? actually contributes to your success is there anything that you do in your day-to-day life that you think helps you achieve what you achieve
1: yeah i think i i wouldn't say i'm a perfectionist but Mm -hmm. but i I'm, i'm very accurate you know i'm kind of um I'm never satisfied, Um, which can also be a problem. Sometimes it's not always good. Uh, I might, sometimes it slows me down. I'm sometimes, you know, I could be quicker if I kind of would go maybe for a less perfect solution, but, but overall, I think it, it, it suited me well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just like to have things in order
0: um <laughs> well when you're managing uh lots of positions and uh and 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 so on and so forth having things in order is probably yeah. a very good trait to have as a person so i think that yeah. uh, helps i annoy and i i annoy people a lot <laughs> <laughs> well you know i'm sure you're i'm sure valse knows you well and and knows not to take it too serious at times mm. then so, final question roman uh, and I ask this of everyone, and I hope maybe you can think of something. And that is, is there any fun fact about yourself that you could share? Something that people who know you might even not know about you? Something fun? Could be from your past, could be something from your present, could be a hobby you do that people don't realize. Uh, I've had many different answers to this question, and uh, but all, all interesting. Is there anything... A fun fact that you can share about yourself? Fun, fun about me? <laughs> you have to ask.
1: You have to. You have to ask my wife. She probably could give you a whole list of uh, funny things I do. I don't know. Um. Uh.
0: Yeah. I. I. Uh, Nothing rings a bell right now. Not, not really. No. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. That's yeah, I'm fine. sorry. No, that's fine. Um, that's fine. Sometimes, uh, you know, we have to think about a bit about these things. But, uh, but in any event, before we finish today, um, where can our listeners uh, best reach out to you and and learn more about future value capital?
1: Uh, The best thing is our website.
0: So, Mm
1: www.futurevaluecapital.com. And I think there you find. Um, I think uh, a lot of uh, interesting information and uh, there's also a phone number, so you can call us
0: or or send us an email, Um, the email address is also on on this website. So and and, uh, and I will of course uh, put all of these details in in the show notes on 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 the uh, top traders on website where people can hmm. find uh, all of that and uh, find other ways of uh, linking up and and following uh, you. So uh, so let me say thank you so much, uh, Roman. It's been uh, very uh, educational for me, and it's been a great conversation. I appreciate your. Uh, uh, openness and and willingness to share uh, your uh, your insights, um, and uh, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, I hope we can connect at a later date and and uh, check in on all the great work you do. Okay, fantastic. Thank you, Niels. Thank you so much, Roman. Take care. Take all care. The best. Ciao. That's all for this episode of Top Traders Unplugged. We'd love for you to be a part of our community. So head over to toptradersunplugged.com and let us know what you thought of this episode in the comments section of the show notes. Take action, get involved, and suggest who you would like to see as a future guest on the show or how you think we can improve. Constructive comments will be rewarded with 30 days of free access to our premium member area. So head over there now and we'll see you next time on Top Traders Unplugged.